0: I looked at the path for women and I looked at the women who were partners, you know, were directors in the firm. And Peter, my, my exact thought was no way, no how is that at the end of the road I'm on. It's just not worth it.
1: Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 44 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Courtney Kirschbaum, who's a human development and high performance expert who specializes in helping young professionals choose the right career and achieve mastery in it. Courtney grew up in a small town with only two stoplights, and now she's an international speaker and presenter who works with future thought leaders, helping them to transition into and build solid foundations in their careers. Courtney has a tremendous amount of energy, which is contagious, and she is funny, too. Some of her analogies are hilarious. For example, earlier in the conversation, we started talking about using social media to promote yourself at conferences where you will be speaking. I give her high praise on her social media skills, and she replies, I don't think I'm very good because I keep comparing myself to 14-year-olds, and they've mastered social media by the age of six. Well, I guess it's funnier when she tells the story. Cordy discusses the transition from college to the workplace, which I refer to as from backpack to briefcase. College students are attending classes in their PJs one day and having to show up to work at a professional job the next day, and no one has explained how to bridge that gap. What are the expectations? What is the significance of office politics play in your career? Questions like those. Courtney founded CK Consulting to fill the leadership and development gap and train people to work in their core competencies and become leaders and high performers. She trains and coaches millennials, helping them transition into and build solid foundations in their careers. Courtney's straight talking style helps her connect with the audience by combining compassion, humor, and real work experience to provide tools and techniques so they'll be able to be successful and productive in their careers. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Courtney was the closing speaker at TEDx Edmonton in 2014 and was selected as one of eWomen's Network's top five speakers in 2013. You're going to enjoy this episode because Courtney's energy, as I've stated earlier, is very contagious. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that one of my goals with this podcast is that I'll help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can connect better with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said that it takes 21 days to start a habit, but according to Dr. John Moller PhD, this is incorrect. John is the professor of psychiatry at Michigan State University and president of the National Speakers Association Board of Directors. He said that the research shows that it actually takes 66 days to create a habit. So now we have to put in a little extra effort and work to create the muscle memory. That's why I created the Yes, And Challenge, to keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the SN yes challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation and remember to share your experiences on twitter using the hashtag yes and challenge now if you're unaware of what the SN yes challenge is all about i discuss this in greater detail in episode zero so go back take a listen Remember you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and in life for 14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on the homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for delivery. You can also follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching the Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at PMargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching my name. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Courtney Kirschbaum. Welcome, Courtney, uh, to my podcast. Thank you very much for being a guest and taking time out of your busy schedule.
0: You are very welcome. It's great to be here.
1: It's great to see you. Just for, so the audience knows, I've known Courtney now probably going on three years-ish. I, I'm terrible with time. It could be three <laughs> days. I think it's like three years.
0: I think you got it. It's three years-ish.
1: Ish. We we met. She, was, uh, uh, she does some speaking for the Business Learning Institute, and we met, I believe it was at the NABA, National Association of Black Accountants Conference. Uh, It was our first time that we met, and you were preparing for your TEDx uh, presentation at the time.
0: That's right. That boy, that takes me back a little bit.
1: Wow. And my wife says, I can't remember anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She is wrong. You (laughs) nailed it.
1: She is wrong.
0: And I've kind of gotten to
1: know you uh, over uh, the last three years, a lot through social media, because I follow you, you follow me. Uh, And and the one thing I, I, I loved about when you would arrive to a city, you would take out your smartphone and video yourself and put it out there on your social media and say hey i'm going to be at this conference i'm doing this hope to see you all it just yeah brought that energy and i have to believe those meeting planners just absolutely love that
0: you know i feel like i'm not very good with social media cuz i'm always comparing myself to like people who are 14 and 15 who are absolute you know <laughs> masters at it and have been since they were 6 But I started, I kind of started realizing that I know what I like to see um, and what kind of what I connect to. So that was like, uh, I was so proud of myself when I did that. I did it. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I I was at a conference in New York when I did it. And I was in um, Las Vegas at the NABBA conference. And people, because when you're at conferences, people sometimes don't feel like they can come up to you or they wouldn't even have a reason to. But I think the The thinking is, well, if she's videoing herself and putting it on her Facebook page, I can go chat with her. And they feel like they already, maybe they already know you. So that's a definite benefit. If you're thinking about it and want to bite the bullet, it, it will really enable you to, it opens a door for people to connect.
1: And, and that's great advice. I, and actually, I, I, I did try it, but I, I learned a very important lesson. You have to stop and record yourself. You can't walk because I mowed over three or four people uh, <laughs> trying to record myself walking, trying to be cool walking through an airport. Bump, bump. So I now pull myself off to the side and record. Good call. Yeah. Good advice. Good. Let's start off the, our conversation by letting the audience know a little bit more about who Courtney Kirschbaum is.
0: Okay. I'll cut. I'll try to keep it brief. I think my, my story, like things really got exciting in my life. Um, when I left my career, you know, one that I thought would carry me through the course of my life and that kind of now what is an old school conventional way. I remember a small town, like two stoplights. Oh, really? Yeah. And anybody who's from a small town is like that's what they're thinking in their head. Well, what do you mean small? How many stoplights? Because that's the language of people from small towns. And I went to college and uh, you know, in, in a in a larger city. And, you know, I really always wanted to see the world. So I took a very conventional route. I, you know, got a, a desk job and then I got another desk job with the goal of, you know, getting overseas and living an exciting life. And I was I was lucky. Um I at some point in my 20s somebody turned me on to um personal development. And my first thought was this is great this is everything I need to know about work. Why didn't they teach me this in college? <laughs> and I really was like this is this is everything you need to know. I mean it was um you know about confidence and self-esteem and how to think like a winner and how to be successful. So I kind of used that to get to move forward in my career and my career consisted of working um, for big four accounting firms. I started with KPMG and spent really most of my career with them and then um, their, their spinoff, which was Bearing Point. And when you start, you don't know anything. I think anybody who's even been in the work world for a few years kind of recognizes, oh, this isn't like it is on TV. I mean, did you have that experience?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and actually, you know, see, like the first two or three years, I was. Kind of like in a fog. Uh, I think the only thing I just want to remember where the bathroom was and that, and then everything else would figure itself out.
0: I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm, was everyone as kind of like unprepared for the shift from academic life to professional life? It's a whole new rule set. Yeah. And i worked in my family business. I mean, from as soon as I could be seen over the counter, I was in there. So it wasn't like I didn't have any, you know, any work experience, but I, I, you know, worked in that career, and I figured it out. And I, you know, had a development book checked out from the library from you know roughly 1997 to, um, you know, t- today. I, I just continued to kind of use these tools. And what astounded me was how few people, how few other people did. I would look around and I would think so. How how are you feeling about the pace of progress here? <laughs> and most people seem to be okay with it. And I really wasn't. I thought, God, if I gotta wait 15 years to like get the corner office and have my parking spot near the door, or you know, whatever the, you know, the perks were. Yeah. And that I think was kind of what that paradigm was like, is this that is this all there is paradigm? I think is what kind of stayed with me, even, you know, right up to the end, once I felt like I really got it and was doing a great job and getting what I wanted out of my career. Um, it just seemed like there there was a better way.
1: Well, you you were working for a, an accounting firm, big four accounting firm. And and, and I, I think still to this day, they're not, they still have that same kind of pace, that same kind of that energy within the firm, which was one of my challenges when I worked for Pricewaterhouse was that I had all this energy uh, and the pace was so slow and things were in structure and, and I, I got into the profession late in life. I was 30. I'm, I, I tell everybody I, I'm Greek. I, I grew up in restaurants. I grew up in customer service. I was a banker. And then I went into an accounting firm and things just kind of, any Bueller, Bueller. And I just, I was just, you know, I, I I see your energy, and I'm, I'm I imagine you were feeling a lot of the same way that I was at that time.
0: I was, yeah. <laughs> I, you said it perfectly. I had all this energy, and the fact is, bureaucracies and really structured environments don't know what to do with that energy. And 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 I have to be honest, I didn't know what to do with a lot of it. You know, to do I didn't know what to do with it myself. in, in many cases, I was just like, you know, they just said work hard and you'll get ahead, and I didn't have any of the um. I have to confess I didn't have any of the finesse. You pick that up as you go. You know, life changes you. You're not the person, you're not the person at 35 that you are at 25. And as I kind of matured and got some perspective on the environment I was in, I had drawn a couple of conclusions. First of all, I I'm kind of frustrated here. And I'm, you know, I'm getting my work done and I'm doing a great job, but this isn't all that maybe rewarding or satisfying even on its even on its best day i feel like there's something missing and so everyone else kind of felt that too i felt i can remember you know hearing more than once you know this isn't really my passion but it's a good job <laughs> you know, you know and, I, and a lot of people feel that way and it's so common that it's become the norm and people are like you know, this is this is good enough. And at some point, it just stopped being good enough. And I, I think this was, I had that moment where I'm like, there's no way I can do this until I'm 55 or 65. So I had that like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I quietly ignored that for a few years until um, I got lucky because um, the economic downturn actually kind of freed me. I don't think I would have quit a good job. I think a lot of people wouldn't walk away from a, you know, a good situation. And when the economic downturn was kind of like a shadow being cast across the land, I thought I can take a break now because and and my uh, bearing point I think basically kind of got chopped up and sold off. And they laid off everyone that didn't kind of go to another place. There are a lot of people who were who were laid off and I took that opportunity to take a year off and regroup and i think everybody i think everybody should have the opportunity to do that if it was if i ruled the world everybody would get their year to like to figure it out and and that really began a different journey for me
1: she's gonna put out an executive order it's gonna be great for everybody it's gonna be wonderful (laughs) everybody mandate for the president and we're gonna take one year off figure it out beautiful wonderful
0: Gonna be great, Peter. It's gonna, gonna be, be great.
1: It's gonna be huge. It's gonna be great. Uh it, it, it's it's funny you say that because I, I was working at Victoria's Secret Catalog, as you remember, not as a model, but thank you for thinking of that. <laughs> and, and, and and I I got downsized re-engineered, restructured, right, laid off. but I didn't have a year, I had three months. And the, after the first few days, I mean, I would, all I people people would talk to me and all I'd hear is wah 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 wah. I don't have a job. And then about a couple of days after that, I went, you know what, this could actually be the best thing that could happen to me. So I'm gonna try to figure it out. And, and I I didn't, but it gave me time to realize what ifs and, and kind of build a plan on the what if. And it works.
0: It you know, it does work. And I'll tell you, your metaphor, I mean, the, the metaphor I thought of when you said that is when you what happened to you and what happened to me, I think maybe to an even greater degree, you're separated from the herd. Yeah. You know, I think of an animal, it's like, uh oh, this can't be good. (laughs) I'm separated from the herd. When I, you know, when I watch those nature shows on TV, this is when something bad happens. And that's how you feel. Just to give you an example of how long it took me to retool, I, in the first three or four months, got my ACSM personal training certification. I took a wilderness first responder class. I mean, I couldn't do nothing. Right, right. It was like, (laughs) <laughs> I have to do something. So I took all these classes and I continued to get certifications. Now, part of that was in an effort to figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? Right. I thought I'll be on ski patrol because I, I had just moved to Colorado and I took the wilderness first responder, which is what they require you to have. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And I loved it. I absolutely loved every minute of it, but I knew that wasn't for me. And then I got um, my personal training certification. Like I'm going to be a personal trainer. I'm going to help develop people. You know, a little bit more literally. And I was like, Nah, no, no, no. I'm not doing that. But the point, the point I want to make from that is, people try things. They're like, and you get a little heat. First, he tried this, and he didn't want to do that. And then she tried this, and she didn't want. She's just, she's just all over the place. And I'm like, Now, is that such a bad thing? And it's not. But I do think there is a stigma attached to it. And I. I didn't. I mean, I didn't do that when I was young. I was like, my mindset was good and right. And, you know, the image I want to project is somebody who's got it together and the person who got, you know, who's got it together, gets a job and gets on the path. And, you know, by the time I was in my thirties, I'm like, okay, some of that was BS and now I'm doing it my way. And those, and I also, just to make sure you get all of my fail, all of my missteps in here, I also thought about becoming a lawyer. Now, if my lawyer is listening to this, he's either like fainted or he's dying (laughs) laughing right now. He'll be like, Yeah, that's true. That's probably right on. Um, But I I realized, you know, that's, I think realizing what you don't want to do is just as important as realizing what you do want to do. Just acknowledging, okay, this is not for me. I'm going to keep looking.
1: Oh yeah I, I completely agree. Uh, at one time I wanted to get my certified financial planning uh, credential and I went uh, no that's not it and I tried a, n- a number of things until I kind of well until I fell in love with teaching but yeah you, you you have to try a lot of stuff and you have you have to be able to fail in order to figure out what you're doing but it, as you said, it takes time. Yes. So you can, and thinking about your business, we'll talk, we'll start talking about that. But you work, I mean, you've been there, done it, and you're working now with the younger generation. Part of what
0: you do is helping them transition into the corporate world. Absolutely. I mean, my, I think my whole, you know, remit or kind of purpose in life is. I've been where you are and I know how awkward it is. I know how confusing it is. I know the mixed messages you're getting because it hasn't really changed all that much. And if you had asked me even 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 5 years ago, you know, what will you be doing? This is not what I would have said. But, you know, what what happened for me is I I left the corporate world and I wanted to I thought I would be a one-on-one coach. I could see that. I kind of had this hazy vision of it, you know how it is, but I was very, I was very certain that I wanted to take my life in a new direction. So I leave the corporate world and I'm like, I'll, you know, I'll be a coach. And I realized that's, that's not as much as I love helping people. That's not kind of the the platform that, that that I want to do it in. And I, I had begun speaking. I was at I was in Lake Louise in Canada. I was at a a really great conference there for young women. Uh, Most of these young women still in college, the University of Alberta, which is a very good school. And the women at this conference were like the top of the top, super high performers, very engaged in school, all of it. And I I gave um, two sessions at that conference, made a lot of friends and some women came up to me afterwards, said, you know, I wanna ask you about this and that and the other. These young women intimidated me. They had their stuff. They had it together. So well. if I had (laughs) had my act together as well as you do in college, God knows where I'd be today. (laughs) They just had it all going on. And everyone I sat down with was anxious and concerned and worried. I don't know what to do. And how do I do this? And how do I do that? And I thought nothing has changed we you you are the exact same person i was at 20 you know except you know how to use a smartphone like stunningly well <laughs> and you have better grades but i thought this is ridiculous they're still not teaching the things that you are really going to need to know when you walk in not only to the job on the first day but even you know before that and another thing i noticed was at the conference i was the only independent there i was the only entrepreneur And I had, because I was beginning my career, I had gone up there as a loss leader. I didn't, I'd gone up there, they had an opening and I was like, I'm in, I'm there, I'm there, whatever it takes, I'll get there. Every other person there was a corporate executive. They had paid to um, promote the conference, so sponsored it, and then they spoke and what they had done is monopolized this market of young talent, and the only perspective that the young women there got was a corporate perspective and I have to say that got my hackles up a bit. And <laughs> I just thought these women need to hear another perspective, and they um they're really kind of not getting it, and they definitely weren't getting it in colleges, so that kind of made me think you need to you can go back and and really change the experience for a lot of people and make it. This is unnecessarily hard. There are some lessons in life that you're like, you know, you got to learn your lessons. There are going to be challenges and you you benefit from them. I believe that wholeheartedly. But there are some things that don't need to be difficult that are kind of made difficult just because there isn't there's just nothing there to show them kind of this is how it works and give them a perspective of someone who's been there. This is these are the challenges you'll face. And this is normal. And this is kind of how you can prepare for this. So that's kind of what got me on this path. A couple of conversations with some really bright women who were a bit scared of kind of going out into the world after graduation. Can you
1: give me a, for, for example of that?
0: I can. I sat down at coffee with this one young woman and she had applied for a job and been rejected. And she um, she said, and she was, she described the whole situation. I'm like, wow, you sound perfect for that job. And it, just right off the top, she's like, you excellent student. She's already traveled all over the world, just has everything going for her. And she said, a friend of mine works there. And she goes, I feel bad saying this. She goes, but I almost feel like my friend is jealous of me or maybe doesn't want me to get a job there. And and you could tell it really upset her. She didn't want to sound egotistical, but I'm like, that's a reality. Like people competing with each other at work and it's a reality. And I said, you know, don't feel bad about saying that. That happens in the workplace. And, um, you know, people become jealous of each other and maybe they're not as supportive as they would like to be. And, and, you know, she, so it's not just like, well, how do I write my cover letter or my resume? It's more of the kind of political issues or how people really interact. Um, There is a, there's an image and then there's the reality. And oftentimes, particularly if you're, you're, in the, you're kind of in the community, you don't want to acknowledge some of the more unpleasant aspects of how we work together or don't work together well. You want to go along and get along. Um, you know, As my corporate friends used to say, just drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a really obscure thing. But it's like, yeah, that is some of the reality. It's like, um, not everybody's going to want to see you get ahead. Another young woman told me, you know, she's like, I don't. I, I'm worried about um, something silly. I think she had, um, she didn't have a job. She had worked and worked, and then she took a summer off, and she's like, I'm not supposed to have gaps in my resume. And I thought, <laughs> says who? Oh, okay. You know? she was in, in pain over this, and I thought, you know what? You really don't need to worry about it, but. Everything is, um, everything seems to be riding on it. You know, they want it. They've been successful. And and this is true for anybody. You've been successful and you want to continue to be perceived as successful. And when that's threatened, I mean, you talked about, you know, losing your job. It's, it's not just a data point. There's a real emotional impact to that. We have an incredibly strong emotional attachment to, it's like a triangle, like our jobs and our security, but also our self-esteem and self-respect. Right. Um, and I guess that's the Puritan work ethic, and you know that goes back you know literally hundreds of years. and I think sometimes people just need to be put at ease and a lot of what I do and in, in addition to you know teaching and you know helping people kind of find their direction and also the practical you know strategies and tactics for kind of getting in and being successful and and being happy is just a little bit of compassion and empathy. it's like you're not you don't have to be perfect. You can actually be a human, and you know everybody else is. You can relax and enjoy the ride a little bit more.
1: So what what's lacking? Uh, and, and I'll put it in this way: when a college graduate goes from backpack to briefcase, what's 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 the biggest challenge? What's lacking that they're not teaching in the universities, but that God they need it in the workplace the day, the first day they walk in and most of them, as we did, we walked in probably not having that.
0: I really think what is lacking is a simple primer on up until this point in your life, you've been, it's a completely different paradigm. And what they need is like a a transition. Like this is the differences between what you're expected to do, how you're expected to think and behave in an academic environment, which you spent your entire life in up to that point. Even if you've worked, you've probably not worked in the same, maybe you were a knowledge worker, but you could be anything. You could have been, you know, leading tours, you know, with um, Outward Bound or something. Everybody comes to it from a different place. I was on the phone interviewing a millennial and he said, you know, I would have just li- liked one semester of job hunt training. How do you really go in, you know, interview practice? It's like this. I was, I was taking, I was playing tennis one day with somebody who's a really, really good tennis player, an actual pro. And he said courtney tennis is an easy game to learn but it's a hard game to master so i feel like they're kind of being told these things but they're not given the finesse here's how you write a cover letter here's how you do a resume and and you know those are easy things to write but they're hard things to master and it's the same thing with with the office politics you know what drives here's a perfect example i had a boss tell me once courtney i when i make a decision in this company i make it based on what would I do at this moment if it was my company? And that's a very simple statement. But I was like, of course, that gets you right to the heart of the matter. The best decision is dictated. Um, and I'm sure there are ethically and morally sticky decisions. But when you're talking about business, the best decision is dictated. But you know, by if it was me, if it was my company. Would I stay at the Ritz or would I stay at the Marriott? You know what I mean? <laughs> How would I? Would I be so? Would I be so liberal with my expense account or you know whatever the case may be? And I think we're thinking when you go into that world, you think you're still thinking like a student. You don't have a clue and you do figure it out. But a course in entrepreneurship, I think, would probably because that makes you think like a business person. And then you have empathy to like the bigger animal that you're a part of rather than just, okay, go make these copies. And you don't see how the bigger machine works. when I, I worked in Amsterdam for a while, I was with KPMG, and the the guy running the whole show there was actually a very good leader, and I, we were talking one day and he said,, um, "What do you suggest to engage you know people at you know your level a little bit more of what's going on here?" And I said, "You know what really opened people's eyes to what what the bigger picture is is if you in, if you invited someone and included them in your executive committee meeting?" So, because we don't know, I mean, you go, you go in there and you have your conclave and you come out and there's a new Pope or whatever, and we don't get it. We have, you know, so we're thinking and we're trying to solve problems on your behalf. When you turn the ship three meetings ago, and we, we don't know. And I think a lot of that is driven by people protecting their turf and the whole, all of that corporate stuff that goes on. But that insight And I'm sure he thought, well, there's a lot of stuff we talk about in there that you definitely don't need to know about. And that may be true to some degree, but there is a great deal of insight. And what I saw was the old dog saying, oh, look at these young pups, they'll figure it out the hard way like I did. And if I had to figure it out the hard way, then you're going to figure it out the hard way. That's not changing. And to me, I looked at that and I just thought, this is ridiculous. Um, And it really did drive me to move out because I I thought there's so much talent here. There are so many smart people who started young and said the way to survive is to fit into this mold. So they remolded themselves in the corporate image and then kind of were trained out of bringing their talents to the foreground. It's like, I don't have time to do that because I have to get this work done and drive their their issues forward. And I think that's part of the conflict.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you with that. And as you were describing that, it takes me to a conversation I've had with a number of partners is when we're talking about new hires, I go, the, you, you got them in a cube and they're doing this work but they don't know nothing about how this business works and and you, and you don't really know until maybe you get to be between manager and senior manager and I said why don't you take these kids and say this is your cube this is you're hanging your shingle here your your area has to be profitable for the firm and I'm going to teach you how to, that how a firm maintains its profitability and you I I think there's so much more ownership uh, that that would be taken on by that new staff versus, yeah, I'm working for this company. I'm just doing what they're telling me versus, yeah, my area is profitable. And this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm doing it. And, and to your point, yeah, let me have some information that's coming from the meetings. What's management thinking? I'm not going to give them all the dirty details. Some of that stays up top, but some of the, some of the day in and day out information should be shared. I, I think that gets e- emotional ownership, that equity uh, emotional equity into the organization.
0: I completely agree. I think it's the differential between teaching people to think like workers and teaching them to think like they have a stake. Right. Um, and and one of the big things that I do when I, when, whenever I work with anyone is entrepreneurial mindset. Um, don't, I think people are a little bit too submissive. You know, it's like, I'll do anything to get the job. I'll be anything you want me to be. And sometimes without even realizing they're doing it and that's it's no good for them and it's no good for whoever they're going to work for because they're never going to reach their potential if they're just like well just tell me what you want me to do and the big thing is is vision i think if you're driven by a a big picture of how you want things to end up even if that changes and it always does that is one of the most clarifying motivating things any individual can do it's like what What's the big picture here? Where are you ultimately going? Maybe you're going to go through KPMG or a couple of other big four firms before you get there. Have have a bigger plan, and wherever you're working at any given time should be kind of part of your plan, not just you being part of of their plan. And
1: and and having that plan, but being very adaptable because the landscape does change. And and sometimes we we have that plan, and we we may be so rigid in that thought process that we're not willing to maybe take a chance and go into a different direction.
0: I completely agree. Or we're stigmatized because we think, well, I committed to doing this and I'm supposed to be doing this. And I was talking to someone a few years ago and they said that their daughter was, I think in the final year of med school. And she was like, I don't want to do this. I I don't, I just know that I don't want to do this. And her parents were like, well, you have to finish. And 10 years ago, I would have thought, well, she asked, yeah, she got to finish. But no, I wouldn't. I'd be like, this person has realized that this career is not for them. And yes, they've made an enormous commitment. And ultimately, she became a doctor just to kind of let let, you know how this story (laughs) goes out. But she stopped. She was a doctor for a number of years and she got out and she went and did something else. I think she actually um, stayed in that kind of a medical-ish profession. But I kind of thought... I get that there's this commitment to finish and closure and all of these things and you shouldn't quit. But the fact is, sometimes you should quit. Right, right. And I think we need to give people a little bit more space (laughs) to quit in. And that is not something most people think is right or want to hear. But there's a place for being able to say, this isn't working. This isn't right for me. And I'm going to move on
1: because when you stay in that situation it, it becomes a detriment to your health to your mental stability at times we can't get trapped and, and you know we've got a, a, a mortgage and we've got three kids and they're all embraces and all of that and that but it, it does take it does take a toll on your health and I, I've got a number of friends who are who work in very stressful jobs and, and I hear it all the time if I can just make it past this point, and I'm thinking, that shouldn't really be the phrase that's coming out of. It's like, I love my job, but I love going in. But no, I, I just got to get past this point. And then I can maybe retire, or do something differently. And I'm going, maybe you should take the jump sooner.
0: I cannot tell you how many people I've seen deteriorate, and myself included, as work stresses them out. And any doctor will tell you that there is an epidemic of what they call nonspecific inflammatory Disease, and it's people showing up in doctors' offices saying, I don't feel good, I'm sick, I have all these symptoms, and it's stress, and it has literally become ap- a- um, epidemic and I, I, at the moment i'm I'm looking up a word um, on my phone because i I want to leave this with your listeners. I was um, again you know somehow being you know good, attaching to some kind of media. And they were talking about an epidemic, which has increased from 2000 to now, of death by work in Japan.
1: Death by work?
0: Death by work. I'm not making this up. It is an epidemic in Japan. It's called Karoshi. 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 Yes. And in Japan, I I lived in Tokyo for a year. And it is it is a, an amazing place with with incredible people, and everyone there is committed to work in a way that makes the Puritan work ethic look like you know right dazed and confused. It is, is right. the God, it's incredible, and they will work themselves to death. I can remember I would walk from where I lived to a uh, you know a subway station, and um, you would pe- you would see people sleeping in their cars. Business people, hmm. because they had worked so late or so hard, they didn't have time to drive home, so they slept in their cars and they were just going to get up and go do it again. That wasn't at all uncommon. And you know we're not far from it, and it's it's um frequently suicide. And you know, I mentioned uh, doctors earlier, and it is not uncommon, and this has taken a bit of a dark turn, but I feel like people need to talk about this because I know they're thinking it. It's not uncommon, you know, doctors on doing their. When they're they, they're not yet fully practicing, but they're in the emergency room and they're working these incredibly long shifts. The suicide rate among those doctors who are working these marathon shifts actually spikes. And it's it's overwork, it's all this pressure to perform and deliver. And it's so common in Japan, they've actually come up with this name for it, Kiroshi. So I, I can't help but think, you know, how far are we from the point where our dignity and who we are is so tied to our work performance that we will literally sacrifice one for another, like they are in Japan. And they've actually started—they've actually started to address it. And um, some businesses are doing something they call Premium Friday, where they send workers home on Friday. They're kind of pushing them out the door to say, "You know, we recognize we have a problem here. It's gone too far," and that's sobering. That—that that is.
1: I—I I did one of my jobs at Victoria's Secret, I was international circulation manager, and we were trying to open up the Japanese market. So this is mid-90s. And yes, I can attest, I I saw that work ethic. Uh, I didn't think it was very efficient, uh, but they would work hard, work long hours, 12, 14, 15 hours, and then they would still want to go out. And uh the, the stereotypical Japanese businessman would still want to go out to the wee hours of the morning and then start to and you can't go at that pace. And I would say that maybe the millennials are helping us to get out of this because you know there's more I, I don't like this word, work-life balance. I always I, I always call it work-life management because the only time we're in balance is when we're dead. Or or <laughs> Or university professor. Outside of that, there's no balance, (laughs) and but they're you know yeah the baby was God. They just want this time. They want to be disconnected. They want to they. But yeah, and I think I think they are helping us to see that there's more to life than just the
0: job. Let me tell you, I love millennials. I I need to be an honorary millennial. I think they are really going to save us from ourselves in many respects. for that very reason they are not willing to sacrifice their well-being for their work success they bring such a great i think a great and refreshing attitude it, the optimism and i know i hear people who work with millennials i mean i work with millennials and i hear them say well, these millennials and i'm like okay that's not a millennial characteristic any 20 or early 30 year old you me anyone is going to do that that's just part of being at that age. And that's a, I think that's an important distinction because they're like, well, those millennials, it's like, no, every 20 year old in history you know, had a lot of stupid tickets, which they played, including you, and we all need to just give them a pass there. I think they bring optimism, incredible discretion about what they're willing to be subjected to, which is not Kiroshi, and just a new way of working. And I, I am inspired. I am absolutely inspired. I, I am. Was giving a talk a few years ago. I don't, I don't know how I got into this, but I was speaking to the Colorado Association of Chiefs of Police. Oh. I know it's like not 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 what I would not where I would have expected to be, but it was great. It was a wonderful group of people, and they asked me to come speak about getting good talent to join police forces. They're really struggling um, to get you know get the right people in there. And it's about community policing and you know, people, it's about communicating a new message around policing. And I do a lot of research for this because this isn't um, a field that I'm familiar with. And I learned a lot. I interviewed a Colorado State Patrol officer. And he said, there's so many great things about millennials in terms of community policing. And, he said, but I can't get them to work overtime. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I need somebody to sit in a patrol car at a construction area on the interstate to kind of make people aware, slow it down, you know, behave yourselves. All they have to do is sit there. It's the easiest job in the world. And he said, it's an overtime kind of thing. And he said, I can't get anyone to do it. They want to have their lives and they want their time. And I, I sympathized with his predicament, but I thought, and isn't that how it should be? Right. I mean, it was a good thing. I mean, isn't that the other end of the spectrum from Karoshi, where you've worked your, you just worked yourself to literally to death? Yeah, I,
1: I, 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 I hold the same thoughts about the millennials. I, I think, having been, that was probably my. Working with seniors when I was at the university and pushing them out the door, that was one of my favorite things to do. And I would always tell them, you guys got the, you got the world by the tail. Just go a little slow. Just, just back off the, the pedal just a little bit in those early years. Uh, but you, you guys are great. And, and as you're describing this, I'm going, well, that's, that's the problem right now in the accounting profession with succession planning because they don't want they see these partners working themselves to death and they don't want to have anything to do with it. It, it it's it's incredible and and these guys are coming out of college they're going to work for the big four and they're leaving after three years which was kind of typical uh, uh, back in the day but what's ha- what we're seeing is when they leave they haven't taken the CPA exam and nor will they take the CPA they're going to do something simpler like brain surgery or something no you guys are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I can't work like this. This, this is. I, there's no balance. There's no. It's just all work driven at that corrosive karo, amount.
0: Yeah, I um, I was going to mention that the the number of recent graduates taking the CPA is in decline, and and it's because they don't want to grind away and study and study and study, and they see it. And honestly, you say, you know, they look at the partners and they're like, I don't want to do that. That's exactly. One of the main drivers of why I got out. I looked at, and of course, I had to bring another element to it, which is um as a woman, I looked at the path for women and I looked at the women who were partners, you know, were directors in the firm. And Peter, my my exact thought was, no way, no how is that at the end of the road I'm on. It's just not worth it. It, you know, it's just not worth it. So I have to applaud them for having, you know, whether it's foresight or insight or intuition or whatever they're bringing to bear to say, no, I'm, not, I don't want to be on this road if that's where this road leads. And I think one of the last companies I was working with told me that they, one of their benefits was a year long sabbatical. When you made partner or director, depending on the path you were on, you could opt to take a year off. And Things like that really make me think that the, you know, companies do get it. They are kind of saying, you know, to do whatever you want to, you know, fulfill the world, you know, traveling around the US in a Winnebago or traveling the world or going to Nepal. So I see some responsiveness. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I read something last night that said by 2025, 75% of the workforce will be millennials. Yeah. I can't wait for that. It's right. I mean, in a blink, we'll be there.
1: Yeah, because w- we'll be a lot older. Um, and I love when I when I do talk about the generations w- with audiences at time, you know, I'll, I'll, by the show of hands, how many baby boomers do we have in here? And all these hands go up in a few millennials. And I say, yeah, we all complain at times about the millennials. So remember the you baby boomers that raise your hand? You're the ones that raised them. <laughs> and they're all going, no, not my kid. Like, no, you all raised them. The baby boomers raised them. And okay, so quit complaining about them.
0: It's on you. That's right. You put him out there into
1: the world. Now let's work with them. So we, we we gave we gave your son, this is a true story. We gave your son a ribbon for being in last place in a diving competition, a participation ribbon. Or I remember he had like an like an eighth place. No, he lost. <laughs> eighth place. It was first, second, third. After that, there's there's nothing. And but no, he had an eighth, eighth place ribbon and had a participant ribbon. I went, This is
0: insane the trophy for showing
1: up yes the trophy for showing up
0: well bless them they, they take a lot of heat for it but i think on the balance i'm like i i hope their optimism their optimism will lift us all and and i think it will i really do
1: i i do too i saw something It's probably now over a year or so ago on cnbc uh that the millennials contribute over two trillion dollars in consumer spending now i i i, I <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this i i um uh, Stated that that stat in one of my presentations, and somebody said, Was it their money or their parents' money they were spending? I went, Oh man. Oh. <laughs> it oh. was their money. And when when you think of millennials, you know we have this picture, but then I try to shape that picture a little differently and, and say one person's name who's a millennial. Some guy named Mark Zuckerberger?
0: Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Zuckerberg.
1: So he's a millennial. He is. Yeah, he's
0: he's like the ultimate millennial, right? I think a, a lot of millennials think what is it like? Upwards of seventy percent of millennials want to be entrepreneurs, and I think Mark Zuckerberg is like the oh, he's the ultimate entrepreneur, right? He he spun up his he spun up his business in college, and now he's he's iconic.
1: And they can do this because the way technology has changed. I mean, technology. They're. They're. I mean, I'm surprised there's not more entrepreneurs out there at Starbucks. I every time I go to Starbucks uh, or Panera, the laptops are out, and I, I'm looking around, going, "Okay, who's who's got a desk job? No, nobody here has a desk job. They're all in. They're just, and they're all working." And yeah, I mean, but isn't
0: that kind of wonderful? I can remember sitting in my cubicle longer ago than I'm going to admit to. And, you know, you had your radio (laughs) and you had your DOS based screen. Now I'm really dating myself, (laughs) but it was right there. I think it was windows in there somewhere, but you know, all the interfaces were still DOS. And now you could sit at the coffee shop and get the same thing done.
1: Right. You could, you could work on your phone. You you can read on your phone. I uh, officiated a wedding for my goddaughter, uh, last year, and, and she's, she's a millennial, she's in her, her mid to, to late 20s, and we were talking about the vows, and I said, you guys have written your own vows, they went yes, so when it came time for the wedding, they both took out their phone, and they had the vows on their phone, which, which, which made me really feel old because I was officiating using an iPad on a, like a 30 font. So I could, re- and they're looking at this, these little letters without glasses. I'm going, wow. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was, that, that was, kind of cool. That, that was, that was, that was, re- that was really kind of s- sobering in a lot of ways, but yeah.
0: I would give anything to have a picture of that you with your iPad and them with their phones.
1: Uh, I bet you I can get it to you. I have.
0: That is. I, that's a modern wedding. I have not. I have not seen all the
1: pictures, but I will. I will. I will text my my goddaughter uh, and see if she can send me that one if it, if, if it exists. I'm I'm, I'm sure it does.
0: I mean, it really does capture like the times, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, it really does. So you work, you 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 present at a lot of conferences. You work with a lot of of groups as relates to the this career path, this the 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 consulting side of your business. But you've got more than just that out there. Uh, You are about to launch. Uh, something you've been working on for quite some time now, I believe. You're about to launch the Job Hunt School.
0: Tell us about that. Ah, Job Hunt School. Um, it is, this is my baby. That's that's the metaphor I'm using. I'm I, I a to tell everybody, almost, it's almost out. <laughs> and so Job Hunt School was born out of actually my first program, Original Experience, which is um, a program kind of to help people figure out what, it, what what's their vision what do I want to do? You know, I'm out of school, I've tried some jobs, i kind of not sure which way to go. So when I was working with this group of people in original experience, I call them the originals, they would call me or text me or message me, Facebook inbox me and say, hey, I've got a job interview tomorrow and I don't, what do I do about this? Will you look at my cover letter? Will you look at my resume? Should I include this? They want to know what my salary is, should I tell them? And I kept having the same conversation over and over again and Last Christmas, last December, I was um, home in Virginia with my family and I had one of these, 11 o'clock I get a message and I just thought, you have to address this because every single person you know in this age group, sooner or later comes to you with these questions. And again, it's that anxiety. I really want this job, it's perfect for me, but I have no idea how to get from where I am to the desk in that office. Or I do, but I'm still in, insecure and unsure and I don't want to blow this. So they're under a ton of pressure. And I, I, I grabbed a cup of coffee, I sat down with the legal pad and I started making notes. And I had a name for it, I guess, by January. And I naively thought I would have it out by June, but nevertheless, and it just morphed into this, you know, into this idea. And it is the purpose of Job Hunt School is to have something for that person recently graduated up into their twenties, who is spinning their wheels and is going through the motions and doing all the right things, but again, they know how to play the game, but they haven't mastered it, and they're and they're suffering for that. So from soup to nuts, that, that's what Job Hunt School offers. So
1: let me ask you this question: Does Job Hunt School? Uh, uh, address this issue. Uh, I had uh, an earlier podcast, a uh, woman by the name of Brett Rowley, who's a career coach, talks a, a lot of, along the same lines that that you are. But she made a comment that she works with the, the, the same type of group, primarily women, about negotiating salary. Oh, yes. And she made a comment about there's so much money being left on the table because we don't negotiate salary, uh, which can be very intimidating to that job applicant, especially if if they're going into a, a senior role, a, a more senior role, and the salary range is going to jump pretty substantially. So they're going to go, they might, I, oh, it's like a, maybe a 50% increase. I, how can I negotiate? How can I? And, and I'm going, you, you can, because you have to think about the person the, the level that it in. is I've got a little bit of a, a, a an HR background because that was part of my undergrad. I'm going you know yeah look at the compensation matrix of so I'm trying to figure that out and, and you want to come in probably around the middle, which gives you some place to grow uh, but you know they might be trying to bring you at
0: the bottom so yeah you should n- negotiate you know it's it is like anything you're intimidated by anything you don't you don't know how to do you've never been trained in. And I think what compounds everything in this part of your life is collectively people kind of expect you to know what to do. So there's this there's this feeling like, well, I'm supposed to know how to do this. You know, when you're sitting around and you're like, everybody's looking at each other because nobody knows what the person who's talking is talking about. And you're like, is it just me? Am I the only one who zoned out and was on my phone? And then it, then it becomes, I mean, and this is the word, it becomes like you're a little bit of shame that maybe you don't know something you should know. So you're just going to shut up and take what they give you and it'll all be good. But take that same person and sit them down and say, I'm going to train you how to do this. It's just like tying your shoes or riding a bike, or it's just like anything else you've learned. But it's like, once you get into the work world, okay, we're all in competition. So let's not share our secrets because that ain't money you negotiate for maybe, you know, maybe money that could have been mine. Right. So there's this competitive atmosphere and they just need to know how to do it. And nobody tells them the rules. Nobody tells them, you know, the little secrets that here. Let me tell you what's going on backstage. Let me tell you how HR thinks. Let me tell you kind of how all this is set up. They just, you know, know what they saw in the movies or what they picked up from their parents or if they had an internship somewhere. And when you have to do anything and you've never actually been sat down and said, okay, here you go negotiating 101, you are going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And I, I think you know they talk about women having more difficulty negotiating than men. Whatever, whatever your default point is, it's something that can be taught, and that's that was the whole point of of you know of the program was just to pick the things out that cause the most anxiety. Most, for example, rejection. Everyone flips out when they apply and they don't hear anything. <laughs> now if you've been around a while you're like. There are, there are some reasons for that, but it's part and parcel of the game. Um, and it, you kind of have to have the right mindset about something like that. Um, but all of these things that are so familiar to you and I now, because we've been up and down this road many, many times, many, many times around the track. When you begin, it's hard to remember how what you didn't know. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I want to step in and help them with. It's like, yeah, you went to their career center and here's your resume and here's your cover letter. Let me take you the last 10% of the way there. And that last 10% is the difference between your resume going in the bin and your resume getting on the short list to get a phone screening. And that's when you're like, okay, I'm making progress now. And that's what I want to give through the program.
1: That's great. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of, uh, of knowledge to pass on because it might be the last 10%, but it could be 100% of that career. Absolutely. And, and, and making that difference. So you said you've been working on this for a while, and, and you're getting close. The baby's about to be birthed. Yeah. When do you think this thing will be launching? April. April of... Uh, coming
0: two, out in April.
1: Of 2017, right?
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you asked, because believe me, I heard somebody tell me once, it was only recently, they said the last 10% of your product, program, project, whatever... Will take as much effort as the first ninety percent, and I thought to myself, "Hmm, I really hope that's not true because I'm supposed to have this out in January. Yeah, that was my like pulled out of thin air deadline, and it absolutely is true. But it's a great. I've I've. Um, it's been a great learning experience. I have loved doing. It has been a labor of love. I mean, a a baby and a birth is all the right metaphor because I have. And have really enjoyed talking to people about the challenges, like interviewing millennials about the challenges they face. And I'll I'll tell you, I came across this question recently. Somebody um, said, if you really want to know kind of what you, you know, what you're about or what somebody you're interviewing is about, ask this question. Tell me about your best day at work ever. And I had to ask, I had to like, I had to think, okay, what was my best day at work? It really gets you thinking about just kind of about everything. Like, what do you consider to be like? Was it when you made a big sale? Was it when you helped somebody? Like, what? What was your best day at work ever? Did something come to mind?
1: Oh, you just said that. I mean, uh, I could. I I try to make every day one of the best days because I I I love what I do. I I don't think I work a day since I started this business, but I work all the time. But I would say the most recent one is when I did the closing keynote uh, earlier. Well, in February for White Castle for the general managers conference, and I I, I took some words from, and I gave her, gave her, gave her credit from the opening keynote, Marilyn Sherman. I don't know if you know Marilyn or not. Uh, she'll be a a, a future. Um, uh, interview on, on my podcast, but she said, you know, the best day ever. Let's have the best day ever. And that, that keynote, okay, I'll pat myself on the back. I kicked it. I mean, that was probably one of the best. I I, I took stuff. I took stuff from the whole conference, tied it all together, had interaction and, and just, and it was the best day ever. Uh, so I can think about that. And the other thing I think about it is part of my, my, Excitement for every day is when I get to do this, when I get to talk to the Courtney's of the world. I, I, I love the conversation. You know, I, I may have, I've got another one this afternoon, two of these, I'll be emotionally exhausted by the end of the day. But once again, best day.
0: That is, that is absolutely beautiful. Because I mean, and you're doing it, like you didn't pluck some, you know, point from way back in history, like you're living, you're doing that now.
1: Yeah, I, I, I. Other than maybe the day that I got the job offer from Victoria's Secret catalog, I mean, come on, seriously, <laughs> that was almost the most wonderful day in the whole wide world. But <laughs> that is so.
0: That is because that magazine ended up being or catalog. Ended up being such like so representative of like a. A point in time that is hysterical that you work for them. Yeah, that
1: was that was interesting times. Uh, you know, but I, it, doing doing what I do, anytime um, I, I get in front of an audience that I can get them to have that, I can make them laugh, but I can get them to have that look that go, uh huh, uh, I get it, or that big aha moment. That's that's the best day ever.
0: Good for you. Do people ever come up to you after your talks? Uh, and by after talks, I mean, like even email you or contact you months later and maybe refer back to something they learned and say, you know, that you gave me something there and, and I just want to let you know, you, you know, you changed something for me or you helped me in some way.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and it's becoming more and more. Um, and, and at times it just really catches me off guard. Uh, but yes, I've, I've had I've had some that some that really touched me. Quite profoundly that my book had this impact on somebody so much that it's just yeah it's a great for and I, I can only imagine how many uh, of those you get
0: i've I've been fortunate enough to get a few and and every time I you know somebody every time I get that it's all you know it's always a surprise it's out of the clear blue sky you know you get an email and, and somebody tells you their story and I I had one recently. This young woman emailed me, and you you speak, and you look at the audience, and you, you have some people, and maybe there's some people you don't have, but you go, and it's it's over. It's like you have that moment with this group of people, and you know usually a few people will come up afterwards, and you you connect with people that way. But I had a woman email me, and she said I saw you speak last year for an International Women's Day event in Canada, and you talked about your TED Talk. And you talked about, you know, one of the things I do with people is I tell them, you know, if, if you're stuck or you're, you're not happy where you are, just set a breakthrough goal. Set one thing that if you achieved it, it would transform your life. And for me, that actually was my, you know, was that was that TEDx talk. And she said, on that day, you you gave your talk and you asked us to speak up and you asked us to share our breakthrough goals. And I didn't. And I didn't come up to you afterward. And she said, but I set a goal to give a TEDx talk on that day you know, because of you and In two weeks, I'm going to give one. And I just wanted you to know, you know, thanks. And this was my goal. I wanted to finally tell you what it is. It's better than a day at the office. (laughs) It really is. It just comes as a surprise. And you realize, you know, it's like the guy walking down the beach throwing starfish in the water. Whatever your work is, you can't save them all. You ever heard the story? No. The beach and thousands of starfish have washed up on the beach. And they're all up in the sun and they're going to die. And this one guy is walking down the beach and he's picking up starfish and he's just throwing them back in the water. And he meets somebody coming, this guy coming in the opposite direction. And the guy says, what are you doing? That's yeah, stupid. You can't save them all. You, you know, you're not going to make a difference. And the guy picks up one of the starfish and he chucks it in the water and he said, made a difference to that one.
1: Wow. Love that.
0: It's It's a classic. It's been around for ages, but. If you if you know that you've made a difference, whatever you're doing, you know, for one person, boy, you can go a long. You can go a long. That's a that's a lot of air miles. That's a lot of long long days and and long nights.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it it makes what we do because what we do at times can be kind of lonely. Uh, w- w- but when we get from an audience, when we can see that we've making an impact, uh, that just keeps that fire burning. That just that just keeps keeps that drive going. It does. Courtney, I can't believe that this has been, it feels like it's only been five minutes.
0: I know. I just, <laughs> this, this has been good. I, your humor is so great. We go along and you're cracking a joke. And I'm like, this guy's funny. <laughs> I knew that about him. I'm not surprised. Uh,
1: this has been a blast. Uh, I, I know my audience is going to take so much away from this. But tell the audience how they can find you.
0: Uh, ah, the best place to find me probably is Courtney Kirschbaum.com.
1: And that's C O U R T N E Y K I R S C H B A U M dot com. It is.
0: It's a mouthful. It but yeah, it'll it'll hopefully come up if you get a little of it in there. That will direct you to pretty much anywhere else you need to go. On my social media, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Facebook. Would love to see you there. And If uh, any of your audience members are getting ready to job hunt or know someone who is, uh, right now we have a splash page up for Job Hunt School, and uh, you can sign up. So when that launches, if you want to see what that's about, or you know someone who might benefit from it, you have a niece, nephew, cousin, yourself, whomever, uh, yeah, sign up and you'll get the word and uh, you can check it out for yourself.
1: That's great. Thank you so very much. I will put all this information about job hunt school, the links and stuff uh, in the show notes. And Courtney, it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Same here, Peter. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you.
1: I would like to thank Courtney again for taking time out of her schedule to give us her thoughts on assimilating into the corporate world from college, as well as dealing with all the office politics. You can find out more about Courtney on her website. That's www.courtneykirschbaum.com. That's www.courtneykirschbaum.com or email her at courtneycourtneykirschbaum.com. At In episode 45, I interview Rosemary Rossetti, who is a compelling speaker who transformed her tragic experiences into life lessons. Through her keynote presentations, she helps her audiences discover their inner strength. Her core message is focused on success strategies and life lessons that can provide the tools to live life with conviction. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life for $14.99 and the shipping is free, please go to my website www.petermargaritas.com and you'll see the graphic on the homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. Thank you again for listening and remember to use the power of adaptability and yes and to grow your career.